recently, a couple of different people in a couple of different context settings have said, so how's the family? And my response was pretty similar to each of them. Gail's great. The dogs are like poorly behaved toddlers, and my, um, my adult children can't seem to get out of their own way, which you can laugh at that. That's okay. Um, truth be told, they get that from me. Uh, even just little stuff, unfortunately, this morning. I <laughs> so I go into the bathroom, I take my glasses off, and instead of taking the contact lens out of the case and placing it in my eye, I just dumped it in the sink. <laughs> Which happened to be full of, you know, soap and water, so there's no retrieving that contact lens. So fortunately, I had another one. Not a big deal, but... Then, I went to start the car, warm it up, so it didn't have to drive over here in the cold. <clears throat> Did I grab the keys to start the car? Nope. I grabbed the dog's leashes. <laughs> didn't, they didn't start the car. Um, but, you know, then there's, like, more serious stuff. There's, um, you know, when it comes to not being able to get out of my own way. Um, I think that I have two kind of choices that I, I turn to more frequently than not. And one of them is turning to things other than God for solace and comfort and perseverance. And the other one is thinking that I know better than him. Anybody relate? Um, you gonna leave me alone out here? Okay, thank you. Little, little <laughs> meager hands going up. <clears throat> um, <laughs> Thank you, Scott. Um, and I believe that those obstacles, right, that I get in my way, that I place in my own way, come from two places, my mind and my heart. And so over the course of the next two weeks, as we continue to look at the Gospel of Mark in this amazed teaching series, we're going to look at a passage where some folks had some mental obstacles, some obstacles in their mind that got the better of them, that kept them from being able to experience everything that Jesus had for them. And then the next time that we teach through Mark, we're going to look at um, what the Bible calls our hardened hearts and how that keeps us from experiencing all that Jesus has for us. So uh, we are jumping from, last time we talked, we were in chapter 2. We are jumping into chapter 6, but in chapters 3, 4, and 5 in the Gospel of Mark, it just keeps up this fast pace that Mark had going for us. Jesus heals, he teaches, he restores, and as he's doing that, he's continuing to upset the religious elite. So we're going to start, this is Matthew chapter 6, and starting in verse 1. Jesus left there and went to his hometown accompanied by his disciples. All right, so there is Capernaum, right? This is where Jesus was doing all his stuff. He actually went across the lake over here, and that's where he healed a guy named Legion of all the demons that were in him, back across the lake. And then he and the disciples are going to take this 40-mile walk from Capernaum to Nazareth. Right? I've never really like, had a desire. Like Some people are like, oh, I, I want to go to Israel. I want to go to Israel. I want to go to Israel. But when I was studying for this, and I saw there's like, there's a trip you can take. That's a hike. It's a 40 miles. It's like a three or four day hike. And you can do, walk that path. And I was like, oh, that sounds amazing. Um, but at this point in the disciples' journey with Jesus, they are, um, 
they're still very much learning, and they're kind of tagging along, and that's really all we know about them in this episode. The disciples followed him. They went with him. Verse 2, when the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed, right? There's our word again. They were struck by, not only by the content that was coming out of Jesus' mouth, but how it was hitting them, how it was landing on them. They were like, this, is, this guy is not like our regular teachers. This is something different going on here. Where did this man get these things, they asked. What's this wisdom that he's been given? What are these remarkable miracles he is performing? So he hasn't done, he hasn't done any miracles in Nazareth yet. So he had, they had caught wind of everything that Jesus had done in Cana and Capernaum, and all that was starting to come towards, towards him. So it starts off good, right? This interaction with, <clears throat> with Jesus and, and this crowd in the synagogue. Miracles, teaching, wisdom, this is great. Goes sideways quickly. Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Judas, jo- sorry, James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. In this one verse, they call into question Jesus' profession. They call into question his character. And they call into question his family. They went from, ooh, look at all the shiny bells and whistles, to who is this guy? Who does this guy think he is? And they took offense at him. This is going to be one of the key verses that we're going to focus on. So keep that, keep that right there. Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own town, among his relatives, and in his own home. So Jesus was off in Capernaum. He's doing all this amazing stuff. And he comes back to his hometown, and he's basically disrespected. And unfortunately, this is the continuation of a Bible-long theme of God's messengers, God's prophets being disrespected, not listened to, abused, and murdered, right? From Moses, Elijah, Elisha, um, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Hosea, John the Baptist. The very next section of Mark, John the Baptist, is we're going to learn that he gets beheaded, and then Jesus himself. And so in a very unfortunate way, this treatment of Jesus validates him as a prophet of God amongst the different roles that Jesus carries. Uh, Verse 5, he could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. He was amazed at their lack of faith. Right, so here's the other, other key verse. We're going to take that. They took offense at him, and we're going to put it next to this. Um, he was amazed at their lack of faith and see, see what we come up with. Then Jesus went around teaching from village to village. Jesus was still Jesus. He didn't lose his power, right? It wasn't... He didn't become any less able, any less God to do miracles. Nor did he let people's reaction to him change him. He, he kept right on doing the, what he was called to do, the mission that he had been given. So these are the two verses that I want to dive into to help us wrestle with this idea of the mental filters that we have that become obstacles. And the first one is they took offense at him, right? That's the the crowd taking offense at Jesus, and he was amazed at their lack of faith. So let's start with they took offense at him. The original word, scandalizo, where we get scandalized. It's fun to say, right? 
um, such a serious objection that one is unable to accept the truth of what is being said. I didn't cite it there, but it's a, a definition given by a scholar named Timothy Gombas. Uh, another definition I saw, causing one to stumble. And I, you guys, I had to, to wrestle with this. I'm thinking to myself, they took offense at him, right? So Jesus, throughout the gospel, Jesus says hard things. But does Jesus cause people to stumble and to fall away? Debbie's shaking her head. You're jumping ahead, Deb, but you're right. If, this is why we read Scripture in light of Scripture. Right? This, is, this is Romans 8.31. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Jesus, fully human, fully God. If he is for us, then who can be against us? If he is for us, he's certainly not going to cause us to stumble. This is uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus is not capable of sinning, which means he's not capable of drawing others into sin. And last, um, this is from James chapter 1. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. those mental filters, right, that become obstacles. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. This is why I say, ad nauseum, we have to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, right? Because the people who he, he came to his hometown, and he had so much that he wanted to give them, so much that he wanted to do for them but they were not able to receive it because they were viewing Jesus through the lens of these mental filters which had become obstacles. Right? We, it's got to be the other way around. It's got to be looking at Jesus through everything else. There's a verse in Scripture that says we take every thought captive to Christ. Right? That means we, through Jesus we capture everything else, not the other way around. Um, because what happens when we allow those filters to become obstacles, then we get, he was amazed at their lack of faith. Right? It was those mental, um, I think John Mark Homer calls them uh, mental maps. Right? It was the, the processes in their heads, how they think, how we think affects our ability to m- move closer to Jesus. Not, yes, of course, what? but how we think as well. The word um, faith in there, it, it means a belief so strong that it causes one to action, right? So the lack of that, the reverse, right? This is not a question of quantity, right? This is faith or no, no, no faith because scripture tells us that faith the size of a mustard seed is what we need, mustard seed, tiniest seed in the garden, right? That's what we need. This is about there being un- unbelief. I, I find it helpful to look at various translations as I'm studying scripture. It, th- this is the NIV that we teach from, lack of faith. Uh, one of the other translations says lack of trust. Another one says unbelief. There's a paraphrase that said Jesus was, uh, I think it said he was dumbfounded by their stubbornness. 
right? All the different ways that our translators try to capture this lack of faith that amazed Jesus. So what, what are the specific, right, we're going to get specific, what are the specific things, the specific ways of thinking, the specific mental filters, obstacles that the folks in this synagogue where Jesus was teaching struggled with? And I think there's a couple of them we can pull directly out of the text. And the first one is a stereotype. It says, isn't this the carpenter? The, the original word means he was a laborer. He worked with his hands. Right? My, my older son, Jake, works with his hands. And you can tell by looking at it, like his hands are hard and they're kind of beat up. Like people who work with their hands, you can tell by looking at it. But they, it's like they put just in front of all these things. Isn't he just a carpenter? They had not just a stereotype, right? So they didn't think a carpenter could teach like he's teaching. So this, this can't be what, what it seems to be. Something else has to be going on here. They, had, uh, they made faulty assumptions, and they had a misunderstanding. It says, isn't this Mary's son? Which was, they took a shot at Jesus. Because in the common vernacular, they would have said, isn't this Joseph's son? But because the perception was that Jesus was an illegitimate child, that's why they phrased it that way. To remind, like, isn't this just some illegitimate kid? And then finally is the familiarity. Right? Isn't he just one of us? Who does he think he is to come in and start teaching these things that are upsetting the apple cart? So <clears throat> I think there, and there, there's lots of other mental filters that can become obstacles for us. Um, but these are the three, three I think we find directly in the text. And so what does that look like today? I think about stereotypes. I th again, I think about when we look, when we get the keep our eyes fixed on Jesus thing reversed. There have been far too many people who have done horrible things in the name of Jesus or people who claim to be followers of Jesus and they do horrible things. And so when the world looks at Jesus... They look at Jesus through the lens of those things. And they, stereo, they place those labels on Jesus. Homophobic, misogynist, whatever, whatever label you want to come up with, right? Because of what people claiming to know Jesus, how they behave. Misunderstanding or a faulty assumption. <clears throat> I think some of the most common ones are that Jesus was a, a great moral example. That's what he was. He was a great moral example. Jesus was a great teacher, like Confucius. Or um, we misunderstand, we make faulty assumptions about some of the things that Jesus taught. Well, he didn't, he didn't really mean to like, love our enemies, right? Or to work for justice, even for people who we disagree with. He didn't really, that's not, he didn't really mean that. And then the last one, familiarity. Um, this one, so kind of, you can think of it this way, right? Rich and Karen Gale, Norbert and Jane Freund, they've known me for literally decades. And Norbert and Jane especially knew me when I was in high school and when I first started to check things of faith out. My first venture into a high school youth group event, I was convinced they were going to ask me not to come back. We were playing like this runaround version of tag or whatever, and I kept slipping and falling. Now, I'm not proud of this, but like I 
10, 15 F-bombs I must have dropped as we were playing this game. And I'm just like, it's some, one of the leaders comes up to me afterwards, and I'm like, okay, here, here it comes. They just say, nice meeting you. Please, please don't come back. But it wasn't that at all. It was, hey, we're glad you're here. We hope to see you next time. I was like, huh. But so those guys knew me then. And, you know, now I, I pastor the church that they, that they attend. Isn't this just Tom? Like, isn't this, he just that kid? And I'm not by any means trying to play Jesus' role here. That's not. Um, but the idea of, of familiarity um, and I think we get in trouble with this the longer we walk with, with Jesus, right? We get to know, we get to know him, and um, we get comfortable with him. And there's a couple different takes on this, a couple different pieces of this. We, we get too familiar with Jesus, and he's our buddy, right? And we leave, we forget about the, the awe and the reverence and the deity, and that, like, Jesus is fully God and fully human. So that's a danger in, in the familiarity. Um, the, the, other, the other piece of, of familiarity um, is we can, put, uh, we can put pretty words on it, right? Oh, these are, you know, this is a theological conviction, or this is the, you know, this is doctrine. But if we aren't willing to, to be constantly examining those things and how we hold them, then we could fall into the same trap of becoming overly familiar with the things of God and missing what Jesus has for us. How we doing? We tracking? All right. All right. Thank you, Norbert. Um, for the sake of time, I skipped over to the other slide. It's in the notes if you want them um, on the, the other pieces that we can kind of imply that keep us from experiencing everything that Jesus has. We've seen so far in the Gospel of Mark Jesus do amazing things with his power, that he'll stop at nothing to use his power for God's glory and for our good and for the growth, for the growth of his kingdom, including meeting us right where we're at. And so Jesus approaches us. Jesus approached the people of his hometown, and he wanted, he wanted to meet them there, but he didn't, he didn't want to leave them there. He wanted to bring them with him. But Jesus never forces himself on us, right? Their mental maps that had become obstacles were blocking them from receiving what Jesus had for them. They were making choices. And Jesus will always let us make our choices, right? He wants us to choose him. He wants us to choose him. So how do we, how do we move beyond uh, a lack of faith that amazes Jesus. A couple of, couple of things that we're going to end with. And the first one is this. To, to be willing to look in the mirror and to be real with yourself. Right? To think through. You start with this passage. Right? How, how, what stereotypes do I place upon Jesus? Right? Do I place any stereotypes around Jesus? Are they keeping me from him? And go through the go through the list, but you, you got to start by examining, just like we did at communion, right? We got to start by examining ourselves, and then we take that and we go to Jesus with it, and we be real with Jesus about where we're at. And 
Jesus, like the, Jesus can handle our doubts, right? There's a difference between doubt and unbelief. Doubt brought before Jesus is part of faith, and he can work with us in that. How many times did Jesus a- a- answer somebody's question, right? Ask Jesus the questions. Bring to him the faith that you have, small as a mustard seed, however big it might be, and do like, there's a, um, a, a passage in Mark chapter 9, a, a father with a son who suffered terribly, and I talk about this passage a lot, and he asked the disciples to heal his son, and the disciples couldn't do it. Jesus comes on the scene, and Jesus asks the father, he's like, do you believe that I can heal him? And the guy looks at Jesus, and he said, Lord, I believe Help me overcome my unbelief. He brought Jesus what he had. The belief that he had was real with himself and with Jesus about what it was and asked for Jesus' help. Jesus will always respond to that. Jesus will always respond to that. And then continue the process of learning. Right? My, I love my weekends not because my weekends aren't my aren't my time off but they start on friday morning with a bible study the um the cumulative life experience of this bible study is literally centuries right this i love this group of people but not just because of their life experience but because of their life experience and their willingness to continue learning they're all of the season of life where they could say i got it I've lived it, I've seen it, I've done it. I don't need, but they continue to learn and investigate and to ask questions and challenge their own assumptions. And it's, it's incredibly encouraging. And then my weekend ends on Sunday nights by hanging out with the high school students who the stereotype we throw at them is they, all, they think they know everything, but they don't. They don't, that's not how this group of high schoolers feels. They want to learn more. They're like little sponges and soak some stuff up and the stuff that comes out of their mouths just amazes me. But it's the process of continuing to ask questions and investigate and study and listen and learn and read. And if you, if you read something in the Bible that you find unsettling, that you find like makes you go, hmm, like don't gloss over it. It would be really easy to, to gloss over it and just keep going. Ask Jesus. Ask somebody who you're sitting next to. Ask one of the elders. Ask Leanne or I. And let's figure it out together. Continue the process of investigating. And we do those three things within a Christ-centered community. Right? We want to regularly, consistently put ourselves around other people who are trying to live their lives centered on Jesus. We want to be around people who are going to be glad to be with us as we ask questions and as we're real with ourselves and as we're real with Jesus. Because it's living within a Christ-centered community that takes all, we talk a lot, we share a lot of information. It's living within community and making yourself open within a community that is Christ-centered, that is the key 
to moving from information for information's sake to transformation. God designed us to live in relationship with him and with one another. And if we can be real with ourselves and be real with Jesus and apply ourselves to that within the community of people who are trying to do the same thing, that's when life change happens. That's how we're transformed into the image of Jesus. So challenging, challenging stuff, you guys. I'm asking you to look in the mirror and, and identify what, um, what those, those mental obstacles, those mental filters that could become obstacles might be. And that's not, a, um, that's not an easy thing. Did you do that on purpose? Okay. That's not an easy thing, right? But when we come to Jesus with what we have as we have it, we're real with him. He makes that amazing power available to us. And he invites us into a life of relationship with him. A, an eternal kind of life that starts here and now. An eternal kind of life that comes through the forgiveness of sin and leads us into flourishing. And from there, Jesus invites us to join him, to join him in his work and spread that idea of flourishing his kingdom to everybody around us.